The HERE podcast is all about reclaiming your power and reconnecting with your mind and body. By releasing our stories and the power they have had over our lives and creating a compassionate and supportive community, we can bring love, understanding, awareness, and healing to ourselves and to all who need it most. Join me in saying, enough is enough. I own my power. I am ready for the next chapter of my life, and it will be the most amazing one yet. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of Here Podcast. Today, I have Crystal Sutherland with me on the phone, and she is the founder and CEO of Journey to Heal Ministries. She also is the author of Journey to Heal, Seven Essential Steps of Recovery for Survivors of Childhood Sexual Abuse. I am very excited to have her on the call today or on the podcast today. Her goal is to help women heal from past sexual trauma by offering support, education, and community so women can, and I loved this quote from your website, women can go beyond surviving to thriving. So thank you so much, Crystal, for being on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I would love for you to start with a little of your story and what brought you to founding Journey to Heal so that you could help survivors of child sexual abuse. Well, honestly, it started out of my own story, healing. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. I was abused by a family member between the ages of 10 and about 15 and a half. And that circumstance was, it was horrible and it really changed the trajectory of my, of my life. And, you know, I went through a lot of, even after the abuse ended, I went through a lot of difficult things after that, made some really bad choices after that and didn't, really didn't know how much it impacted me and, or even hadn't even considered that I needed to heal from it. I just wanted to get as far away from the abuse and move on, you know, with my life and try and just forget it and move forward. But trauma doesn't work that way. Healing from trauma doesn't work that way. And it all kind of caught up with me um, in my late 30s. And by that point, I was was a married, stay-home mother of three. I was a homeschool mom and very involved in my church and had my hands in all kinds of things and primarily raising my kids and taking care of my family. But I was very angry, took a lot of that anger out on myself and a lot of it out on just my family, my husband. I was really, I wasn't violent, but I was just very controlling. I was a perfectionist. I critical of myself, critical of others. I just really struggled with some depression, but mainly I was just very irritable and hard to get, hard to live with, to be honest. And uh, I didn't know where it was coming from, but a really good friend of mine and a mentor, I think she could see the signs. I think she could relate with me on some levels. And she kind of was the first to point out that there might be something in my past that might be driving some of, you know, why I was so frustrated and angry and just really struggling, you know, at that time in my life. 
And my marriage was really suffering. And my husband had really asked me to get some help. So I did. And I talked to this kind of mentor of mine. She was actually my pastor's wife. And she just kind of, I told her she was the first woman that I told my story to, my whole entire story. And it actually took me several meetings with her to get it out because I just was so emotional about it. I had never really shared it and hadn't really told anyone. I was so afraid of rejection and being judged and just, I had never really put the two together that, that what I had been through was like a crime or abuse. No one had ever told me that. I just knew that it was horrible and I, that I didn't want that in my life. And I didn't know how at the time when I was a child to stop it, but I was glad when it did stop. Long and short of it is, my mentor, she just told me, she said, you know, you need to write this stuff down. You need to get it out of your head and on the paper. You need to journal and you need to get educated. You need to find out more about this kind of trauma and what it does to the mind and the body. And you need to learn how to how to deal from this. And so, logically, from there, I went to Barnes & Noble. I mean, isn't that what you do? <laughs> you <wanna go>. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, you go to Barnes & Noble and you just go to the psychology section. I don't know. I I didn't know where to begin. There, You know, this was 14 years ago. And so, I mean, there just wasn't a lot out there on this topic. I think we didn't talk about this in the church that I went to. And actually, around about the time that I started facing this with my mentor, her husband had actually preached a sermon that, and he broached on healing from your past, and he mentioned for the first time ever in like the 10 years we had gone to that church, he mentioned the word sexual abuse. And it just resonated with me on such a deep level. I hadn't heard that, and I it just kind of all connected at one time, and that's kind of what helped disperse some of it on for me to share my story. But anyway, all that said, that's when I started my healing journey, and I couldn't find anything, not much of anything. I did find a few resources. I did find, you know, some books that shared people's stories, but they weren't redemptive, and they weren't hopeful. They were just kind of left you hanging in the heart of that person's story. And I did soak those up. I read them. I devoured them because it helped me to know I wasn't alone in what I'd been through. Um, But it didn't give me hope. And so I kind of had to navigate that on my own with my church and with my support at home and just with my relationship with Christ. And it was really in that. It was really in all of those things. And uh, and some tools like Let's see, uh, Dan Allender wrote a book called, he's a licensed psychologist, and he, he's also a survivor, and he wrote a book called The Wounded Heart. Some of your listeners might be familiar with that. If not, he's really gifted. He also does some, I think, weekend-type teachings, retreats or something on this topic of healing. Anyway, he does a really good job. I grabbed that, and it was actually in his book that he defined sexual abuse. It's the first time I'd ever read a definition of it. And I remember sitting there on the floor of Barnes and Noble in the psychology section, because mind you, at this time, I couldn't find anything on this topic in the Christian living section, which was my first place I went. And so I sat there in the psychology section with Dan Allender's book in my lap and Karma Macchiato in my hand. (laughs) And I just bawled and cried. I just cried. It was the first time I'd ever seen anything that said exactly what happened to me and said it was wrong and that it wasn't black and white, white and said it was a crime 
and it was something I was going to need to heal from. Like it just, I was blown away. And so all of a sudden this, you know, it just felt like all this hurt I had been through had a name and it was something I could heal from. It was a very profound moment for me. And then, so from there, I just began, just began my journey. I started doing some very specific things, which are things that I cover in my book. Never thought I'd write a book, but after I reached a certain point in my own healing, which was really probably about 42, about age 41, 42, it just really felt like God was saying, hey, you need to write this stuff down. You need to, you need to shed some light on this for other women so they don't stumble in the dark like you did. So I did, and that's what this book is about. It's Seven Essential Steps of Recovery for Survivors of Childhood Sexual Abuse. It's called Journey to Heal because that's, that's really what it is. It's a journey of healing, and it comes in stages. And, and there's certain things that we can do as survivors to help ourselves, but I do believe that ultimately, you know, this trauma, this sexual trauma like what I've been through, is it leaves a soul wound. And I really believe with all my heart that ultimately, while we might, do counseling, we might do EDMR, we might do, you know, it might require medication, it might, who knows what all it'll require. At the end of the day, a soul wound is something only God can heal, and He does that through hope in Christ. And and that's what's been the primary healer for me, is my hope in Christ and who I am in Him. So, so Journey to Heal, the ministry just kind of came out of that. You know, my book released in 2016, it got picked up by the first publisher that I that I presented it to, which is crazy, but it's uh, just a God thing. And from 2016, that was, what is that? That's four years ago. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's been, it has been crazy since then. I've led online groups, face-to-face groups. I've done several retreats, spoken a lot of different places about this and on different podcasts. And I mean, God's open doors. I just didn't think possible. Back in 2017, I just really felt impressed that I needed to go ahead and turn this into a nonprofit and create a, a way that other women could, because I was getting asked, women from across the country that had taken my study were like, how can I bring this study to my church? Do you have a program? Do you have something already written? How can I do this? And so we I formed a nonprofit, put a board together and uh, board directors together, and we began the work of a mentor training program for uh, women, and now we've already we've already had a couple men go through the program to help men in their communities, and we have trained over thirty mentors across the country and as far as the UK to take the Journey to Heal study and start one in their church or in their community. It's gone very well. I mean, we're, we're we stay very busy, and so that's kind of how Journey to Heal got started. If that answers your question. Oh, yes, it does. That is amazing. First, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your story. I can absolutely relate with you. The number one way that will first relate on the fact that I, once it was over, I was the same. I just wanted to get away from it. I wanted to heal and move on, but... I like how you said soul wound. My deep inside of me, my body, my mind wouldn't allow that. And it just, and yeah, yeah, how that manifests is in a lot of choices that are really self-abusive, you know, not treating yourself or honoring yourself or loving yourself. And that moment that you, it was just so beautiful how you shared, uh, people might think, well, of course it's wrong and illegal, but 
as a child experiencing that, you're holding shame and guilt and yeah. confusion. So when you yeah. finally have that moment where you're told, hey, it's not your fault and that right. shouldn't have happened, it's incredibly profound. Yeah. 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 And I, I, the same, probably the number one way it manifested when I was... Well, I had a lot of anger even as a teenager, but then being a wife and a mom and having that, yeah, just irritability and shouting and, you know, just not the most fun person <laughs> to probably live with. <laughs> and then finally it coming to a head and you're like, okay, I need to make this better. So that is absolutely amazing. And it's it's beautiful that you found within making changes within your church so that there wasn't a, this wasn't being talked about and it needs to be talked about. And you're absolutely right with, I have the same experience with starting the podcast is it's hard to talk about, right? People aren't talking about it. So right. I don't know about you, but I was right. really nervous to start the podcast right. because of that. But I felt incredibly right. pushed and drawn to do it. And then once I did, so many people started coming to me and saying, this is needed, this is needed, please keep doing this. Right, right, right. And so you yeah. went into your church where this is not talked about a lot, and you started something that's awesome, that your church was supportive of you doing this. And I would love to know more about the Journey to Heal Ministries. What are the different programs you're doing? And is it your mission to get more churches and more organizations talking about this and having this type of group within their church? Yes, Port City Church here in Wilmington, North Carolina. They've got a location in Jacksonville, New Bern, Leland, and Wilmington. Their main campus is in Wilmington. And Mike Ashcraft is the lead pastor, and then they have campus pastors you know, for each of the other campuses. And the leadership there, you know, they just, they already had a care ministry in place, which was vital. And that care ministry was led by my friend Marla Decubellis, and she actually was instrumental in kind of opening the door for this conversation. In 2016, she approached me to help put together, she become aware of my book and, you know, aware, you know, just my heart to try and implement this in this community. And she approached me about helping to put together a sexual trauma seminar that could take place at Port City. And so we did that in September of 2016. We were shocked to see over 300 people show up to that, and many of whom were survivors or supporters of survivors and just really want... And we, we didn't even really advertise it, you know, like beyond the church walls. So that was really interesting. But out of that, our group began, and they're at the church and one-to-one -one mentoring and some other things. So basically what Journey to Hill Ministries does, it is the it is kind of uh, the culmination of everything that I had already been doing kind of solo up to that point when we launched it as a nonprofit in 2017. So now it is, we're still doing much the same things, but we can do more because we've got more people involved. We have people donating to Journey to Heal, which is just such a tremendous, I mean, profound blessing because it equips us to get this resource to be able to do some really cool things. But basically what our programs are, our programs are free to women. The only thing they pay for is that they just have to get a copy of the book because I can't. There's no way to. We donate a lot of books and we do donate a lot of books to women who can't. Like we're not going to let a woman take a study and if she can't afford a book. I mean, we make sure she gets a copy of the book, but we try to encourage women 
to take ownership of their journey, at least to that point, and get their own copy of the book, get a, you know, get a journal that they can use, that sort of thing, which feel like there needs to be buy-in. But also, the book is, of course, separate from the ministry itself, So, and I can't control that because it's owned by my publisher. But, um, but the long and short of it is, is we provide a free service, and that free service is one-to-one mentoring for women who have women 18 and older, although we do, we have mentored several younger women, high school-age girls and college-age girls. We also, so we do one-to-one mentoring, basically still taking them through the seven essential steps I cover in my book. And then we also provide groups. So some women, they need that more group atmosphere or support. So we have set up a format for our group that ranges between three and five women. They have to be 18 and older to take the group. And obviously, I mean, they, they, they need to be a survivor of sexual trauma that's just ready to go ahead and move forward in her healing journey. So our groups wouldn't be the first step you take. Maybe the first step you take in healing would be to talk to someone, a trauma-informed person that can kind of hear your story and kind of assess whether, you know, professional counseling is the good first step or whether a group like this would be a good first step or next step rather. So these groups, they run seven weeks and basically, you know, they uh, provide a space not only for women to be and find support with other women who have been through this and are on the same journey of healing, but they provide some intentional steps. So it's not just sit around and talking about our stories and how much we hurt, it's actually taking some very tangible, practical, intentional steps to move forward and through that process, through that, so that we can ultimately heal. And then after that group is over, we encourage next steps, which is either, you know, uh, further one-to-one mentoring or professional counseling if we think that's necessary, and or getting involved either within the church itself or if this isn't happening at Port City, then if it's happening We've got mentors across the country that, that lead groups in their communities. So we, we encourage our mentors to encourage women to get involved, either volunteer at your, you know, at your local church, get involved in a women's Bible study community. You just don't isolate. Get out there in some life-giving community that is beyond this Journey to Heal group because it's so typical for us as survivors of this to crawl back into our safe zone, you know, and isolate especially if we're still hurting, you know, in certain ways. So so we encourage, you know, just moving forward. And so we offer, like I said, support groups, the one-to-one mentoring. Then we have a thing called Hope Restored. And Hope Restored is an annual women's retreat, basically. We keep it 50 women and under. And it's just a, it's a weekend where, you know, we've, we've had four of them so far since 2016, we do them here at the beach, either South Carolina or North Carolina, here in Wilmington. And we just provide, a, it's a beautiful weekend of hope-filled stories of other survivors, whether domestic violence or sexual abuse or human trafficking or, you know, what have you. And we provide, you know, we, we provide time in kind of a schedule of times of worship, times of kind of group discussions, times of just solitude and quiet walks on the beach and time long to journal and think and reflect. And then times of just hearing inspiring stories of women who have really overcome, you know, some major battles 
in their journeys of healing. And it's a beautiful weekend. And we end it with something really special, my favorite part, which is we call it a letting go ceremony on the beach. So on Sunday morning, we all gather. And first part of the weekend, we provide women with a rock, a rock and a seashell. Because, you know, like when you go to the beach, you collect seashells. And so we encourage women to collect truth at over the weekend. So whether it's from a story, an inspiring story or message they've heard, whether it's from, you know, know, a scripture that was shared or something they've read or just whatever it is that they, you know, that they kind of discover an important truth or an aha moment, we encourage them to kind of make a memento of that on a seashell. And then we provide a rock too. And rocks kind of represent burdens that you carry when you come to this weekend. And so we encourage them to write down those burdens, the things they want to let go of, the things they want to commit, maybe in prayer to God, and leave at the beach. We we encourage them to write that on the rock and provide, you know, tents for them to do that. And then um, on Sunday, we come together, we give them time to get alone and reflect um, with their rocks and cast it in the ocean. And then we take communion together and just kind of come to the Lord's table together and celebrate and sing and hug necks and take photos and say our goodbyes and it's just a beautiful time so wow so that's kind of yeah it really is special we've had women come every year to every one of them we've had some women come each year it's either women you know we've got a handful of women there for the first time but most of them have been there before so it's kind of like a little bit of a homecoming mm-hmm. for these women and what's really interesting is my first online group asked me to do that. They were like, can you please do a retreat so we can all see each other? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I know. I thought it was, mo- and I was scared to death. I was like, I've never done anything like that. Before. I don't know what I'm, if y'all will help me, I will do it. <laughs> and so they did. And then from there, you know, just many hands make light work. And there's been all kinds of ladies that just pitch in and help. And, you know, we don't know what we're doing, but we have a great time. And, and it's just beautiful very organic and then um and it's all volunteer nobody gets paid although I do get calls it's funny I get calls every time I put it out there that we're going to do it I get people wanting to submit speaking proposals and I'm like oh, we just, that's not us we just won't do that <laughs> if you want to come yeah. for free <laughs> you can come <laughs> but um but anyway because we're just there to encourage not a this isn't a you know a big conference type whatever and what's beautiful is we've got women we have women that have come to speak into the lives of the women that come to the Topher Store Conference, we've had women come as far as California. And co- we haven't come from Colorado. I mean, all over. And these are survivors that are like, you know, they're either authors or they're, they're speakers, you know, in their own right. And um, they'll hear about it. And, you know, they're either connected with how a journey to heal or with me or something. And, and they volunteer their time. They volunteer their time and pay their own way. It's such a beautiful thing. I love it. That sounds amazing and powerful. Oh, it is. It is, it is, it is. It's just, it's a gorgeous thing. It's just a blessed thing. But, so we do that. We do the Hope Restored thing. And then, and then most recently, there's just a lot of different things. We do education and awareness. We have a campaign called, uh, that we started last year. It's called the End One in Ten campaign. And you can actually go on our website at journeytoheelministry.org forward slash end one in ten. And that's just like E-N-D, the number one, I-N, and the number ten. And basically, it's based on the statistic in America, the unfortunate statistic, that one in 10 children, based on reported cases of child sexual abuse, based on those, it's estimated that one in 10 children will be sexually abused before they reach the age of 18. And that's just in America. 
And that's horrifying. Uh, One in 10 children, but that's horrifying. And I was one of those kids. And I know what it's done to my life. I just don't want this to happen to anybody else. And obviously we can't end child sexual abuse. I wish we could. I just don't think, you know, that's going to happen just because of the world we live in. But we can certainly drastically reduce numbers. We can educate people. We can educate families and equip them to talk about these things with their kids and talk openly in age-appropriate ways with their families. And so that's what we do. That's what the End One in Ten campaign is about. It's just about education and awareness. So we do that. That's another program. And as a part of that, we started last year our first race. It's called the Hope Run. And it is a 5K, one mile. You can walk it, run it. It's kind of like a fun run type thing. But the whole thing is geared around an event that we do here in Wilmington. We had about 300 people show last year. It was amazing for our first one. And then we had, I think, I can't remember, it's like, 25 or so virtual runners across country. This year, we were supposed to have it April 27th or 6th, but COVID, <laughs> COVID kind of did a number on that date for us. Oh, yeah. And so we've had to move it. We had to move it to June 28th, and we have just now found out we're going to have to move it again because the governor of North Carolina has not opened up large events yet. Yeah. So we hoped he was going to do that in this phase too kind of reopening of the state, but he didn't, and there's no guarantee he's going to do it in phase three, which is supposed to take place at the end of June, so we've moved it to September 13th, and uh, we're kind of just now rolling that information out to everybody. We literally just did that this last week, so we're hoping, because we can do this virtually, but the idea behind Hope Run is to raise awareness, so we want it to be an event, and we feel like there's nothing like that, like there's just nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I think the only other organization that does anything like this is the Rape and Incest National Network. I don't know of any other organization that I've seen that does a run that is dedicated to raising awareness concerning sexual abuse in our country. Yeah. I literally have chills right now. You're absolutely right. I see all types of runs all the time, you know, run to, you know, be positive, run to whatever the run might be. And I literally got chills thinking about, imagine if this is like the awareness brought to child sexual abuse and all of these people running for awareness. That would be absolutely amazing. Wouldn't it be? And you can, and the way our race is set up is we've done it with our race producer where you can run anywhere in the country. You know, it's wow. 20 bucks. I mean, you know, not a big deal. We'll send you your race swag and, and all the things. And you literally just pick a day. You do, you map out your mile or your, you know, if you're going to do this, you know, 3.1 miles, whatever you're going to do. And you take some photos and then you use the hashtag, you know, you send us your photos and the hashtag and we'll share it. We'll share your run on our social media and on our website and all that. But yeah, it's all about raising awareness, educating your local community. And even if all that means is that you wear a shirt that says Hope Run and somebody or a hat, one of our hats or something, and somebody says, what's that about? And you can say, you know? Yeah. And that changes things because we've done the heavy lifting on our website. We've tried to. We're not perfect at it, but we and we continue to tweak it, but the heavy lifting we've done is by providing the resources, information, you know, the education on our website. So if somebody just goes to journeydehomeministries.org, they're going to learn about this issue. They're going to learn how to support survivors. They're going to learn how to heal. They're going to learn 
about the Inland and Ten campaign. You know, they're gonna they're gonna get educated. It kind of it's a one shot. We, we've done the best we can anyway at that. So our runners don't have to, or our hope and participants don't have to have it all. You know, they don't have to know all the right answers and know what to say. They literally can point people to our website and just say, let's get educated on this. Let's help stop this violence against children, against women, and even, you know, men. Just so many yeah. men that have been hurt by this. It is a core issue. I think that's the other the other thing. So one of the things that we do is every chance we get, we will go and speak wherever we're asked. So most recently, our church, our church is about 5,000-some people across the different campuses. And they have a parachurch program called Refuge, which is an addiction recovery program. For lack of a better phrase, that's basically what it is. They don't call it addictions recovery. They call it more recovering from life-dominating sin because it's not just addiction. It can be not just like drug addiction. It can be addiction to all kinds of different things. Anyway, they had asked us to come and kind of do a service or whatever you want to call it, an awareness event, basically, to educate the attendees of Refuge because you know, they've got about 120 or so people that come to that each Tuesday and, you know, they're struggling with all kinds of different life-dominating sins or addictions. And at the core, for a large percentage of them, is sexual trauma. And so we came, we got to speak um, over a couple nights and share about the hurt of sexual trauma and the hope for healing. And then most recently, we got invited to College Overflow, which is a ministry within the, our church that has about 500-plus college students that meet weeks, and, and they kind of have their own service, and so we got to go and speak to them as well. So that's another, I guess, program, as you could say, is, is just educating and sharing about this issue and next steps and hope for healing, because it just it needs to be talked about, particularly within the church. Because of all places, we have the body of Christ has the hope of Christ. And so we're better to find hope and healing from something so horrible as um, sexual abuse. Yeah, absolutely. I strongly feel that all, all religious organizations, all of them need to have something like this in place. Because as a person, if you're going to wherever it is that you worship, that's right. where you're going for guidance in your life, in marriage, and in, in yes. being a parent, in everything. So yes. if that is your safe space, if that's the place where you have love and connection, then that should also be the place where there is someone you can go to if you have experienced sexual violence. Because someone yes. who's experienced, and I know you know this, sexual abuse, trauma, violence— there's so much shame wrapped around sexuality and sex in general. So you yes. are embarrassed and confused and you have a lot of shame even when you shouldn't. And so that keeps yes. you from speaking up. So in these yes. spiritual religious places where you are finding that community, you should have a place to go that is supporting you. And I think this is amazing. I think every single church and religious organization out there should have a branch of something like you're doing, like Journey to Heal Ministries. Thank you. That is our hope. So you were asking me earlier, you know, like, what is the goal or the hope? Like, do we hope to have 
these groups in other churches or places of worship across the country? And and the answer is yes. I mean, I'd love to see, I would love to see a journey to heal support group active in every community um, across the country. I really, really would. And that, you know, that slowly is happening as people are becoming aware of this as a resource and as we are growing as a ministry. You know, this is a really, really difficult topic to tackle. And I think there's just no quicker, easy fix. And this is not an easy group to lead. What I have um, discovered is, and it's not the fault of religious organizations or places of worship or churches. It's really not not anybody's fault per se. It's kind of like COVID. None of us know how to deal with this thing because we've not ever had to. And it just kind of snuck up on us and there it is. And how do you navigate the unknown? So it's kind of along those lines because even though we know this is prevalent in our country, many people don't know how prevalent. Most people are ignorant of the effects of it. They don't really know how does this affect a person because it's so much of the effects of it are inside. You know, it's um, not things you can see. You know, it's not like a physical ailment someone has where you can notably see that they're hurting on the outside. And a lot of survivors carry their stories around for 10, 20, 30 years before they say anything or begin to deal with it. So this is just a very difficult topic to navigate for church organizations or religious organizations, you know, to try and be equipped to how do we handle people who come and worship here who might be hurting in this way, how do we handle this topic? And I think that's why it's been avoided quite a bit. Now that is changing. Certainly within Christian organizations, there are more and more organizations are speaking up and people, survivors are speaking up within the body of Christ and saying, hey, We've got to do something about this. And I know that's the case with the church that I go to. Um, I also know that's the case with the Southern Baptist Convention. They're building materials. Uh, like, for example, I think it's a book out called Caring Well. And it is actually, it was put together by a consortium of counselors, survivors, and pastors, and church leaders, care ministry leaders, to equip churches across the country or organizations across the country to be able to care for people well who have been through this kind of trauma, not just the the victims or survivors, but their families as well. And they've developed a website and everything, you know, to kind of equip leadership in these different organizations to be able to do that. And um, I went to a conference last year that kind of introduced that uh, new resource. And then there's another author who just most recently, I literally, she just came, it just got published, is getting distributed this month, the month of June. It's called Into the Light by Mary DeMuth, and it is actually a, uh, a really, really good package. She wrote a book called We Too, and um, it's basically speaking to religious organizations and saying, hey, we have got, this has to be approached and talked about, and here's how. And um, so she put together through, I think, Lifeway Women are the publishers for it. And she put together a nice package. It's a video series, a seven-session video series for survivors and for supporters, people, leaders, church leaders, that sort of thing, um, or religious organization leaders who want to be able to know how do we navigate this topic and, and talk about it openly so that people can find a safe place to heal. So I I do think there's 
Yeah, it is really good. And I think there's change on the horizon. It's just slow going because this is really hard. And I can say it from firsthand. I mean, Felicia, I've led 16 groups and it doesn't get easier. It is heavy hard work. And I think people want to help and they want to bring this in their community. But when you actually lead it and you actually sit there for seven weeks with people who have been through horrifying situations and who are just deeply hurting and I think it's scary and what do you do and it's just not for everyone and I just my hope is that we can get it across the country it's going to take people across the country willing to pick this mantle up and do it that is that is beautifully said I am so happy I am so happy and honored that you're doing the work that you're doing. And you're absolutely right. It's mm-hmm. it's hard for people to talk. So maybe it's, and I like the way you put that, it's not that the places of worship or the churches, the religious organizations don't want to do it. It's who's going to do it, right? right? Because it's so... Yeah, it's, who's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. the hard it's part. Yeah. And, yeah. What, and yeah. I, what all of us and all of us, the big all of us, because I see more people on social media, more podcasts, more organizations um, using their voices and speaking out to bring awareness on child sexual abuse, that the more we do this, we're opening up the conversation. And by doing that, we're removing the shame and the stigma so that people will feel empowered to come forward and to start these groups and these organizations in their own communities. And so that's all we can keep doing is, because you're exactly right, one in 10 before the age of 18, that's a horrible statistic. And the vision would be a world without child sexual abuse. It's hard to say, I mean, we're not going to be able to end it. Wait, that sounds so negative, though. I hope that I know. we could end it. But the, the <laughs> likelihood of completely ending it is hard. But what we can do yeah. by bringing out these conversations and support and making it a part of the conversation is instead of, say, people like you and me and a lot of other people that suffered and struggled for the majority of their lives, because I also was into my mid-late 30s when I really started to heal, we can help intervene sooner so that someone else can start their healing journey sooner so they don't have to live so much of their life with this pain and that they can start healing and living their best life sooner, if that made sense. Oh, exactly does. Absolutely does. Absolutely. I love how you're offering so many different things because it's a lot of different ways for people to get involved. So say they are into the run or maybe they're into the retreat, maybe they're into all of it. It's being able to access all different types of people, all different types of personalities where they're at. And I think that's amazing. And I know myself, I am going to participate in your run. If I can't make it, absolutely. If I can't make it to Wilmington, depending on where the world's at, I am happy to organize something within my community and get people involved. I think that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, I would love that. I just, we would really, we would love that. We'd love for you to do that. You know, it makes a huge difference. I think when people can see, because you think about it, I think sexual abuse definitely perpetuates in silence and secrecy. Yes. So, and I was actually just having a conversation with my son, my teenage son, he's about 17 and a half, and he, he's really 
struggling with, you know, the, the riots and things that are going on right now, you know, he's struggling with like, what is this accomplishing? I don't understand the protesting and how is that raising awareness and why is it getting so violent? You know, just a lot of different things he's, he's just seeing. And I don't have the answers for all that. What I have told him is that we were talking about this morning over breakfast and I was like, we can't be silent because then that just breeds this issue. So whether it's, if we don't get educated on issues in our culture and what's driving that and how to be really, literally how to get along and just be better at being human, then we're not going to be. And it's the same thing with this sexual trauma or sexual abuse. If we don't educate people and if we don't raise awareness in whatever fashion we can that, that is reasonable and helpful, then it's just going to continue and be rampant because perpetrators are just going to be given free reign. But if we educate people, and particularly families, we have a lady on our board of directors, her name's Emily Parker, and her daughter was sexually abused by her ex-husband. And they went through a whole, you know, just nightmare as a family. And the healing process has been long. Journey to Heal has been a big part of that for them and, and certainly for Emily being a part of Journey to Heal and being on our board and having a, you know, a place to really use her voice to help other moms who have been through similar things and to help young women as well. But one of the things that she said that just she helped to ignite our End Woman 10 campaign, her and her daughter actually, her daughter that had been, uh, Kayla Parker, who had been abused at Kayla, was instrumental in helping the campaign get off the ground last year. But one of the things Emily said was, you know, it starts in the home, every home. If parents can teach their children about body safety, the fact that they can say no, and they can be, you know, aware of what their body parts are, the correct names of their body parts, so that if they, in the horrible chance, that they are circumstances they would have to tell an, a trusted adult that somebody did something to them, they would be able to actually articulate what was done yes. um, and where. That might sound crazy, but that is half the battle. Yes. There's this fear of, I don't, I don't know what that person did. I don't understand, you know, but if there's understanding, then you can, then a child can know that was wrong. Like, no, right away, yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not 30 years later, <laughs> but right away, that was wrong. They're not supposed to do that. And I can tell them no. And if they don't stop, I can go the first chance I get and I can tell a trusted adult and these are the trusted adults that I can go to, you know, because I've had this conversation with my parents, you know, and I'm aware of this. And do you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's just, it seems profound, but it's so simple. Like if my mother had known to have these conversations with me, I would not have been so afraid to go tell because I would have known. She already told me if anything like this happens, I can go to this person, this person, this person, and I can just tell them exactly. And I would know what to tell them. Do you know what I mean? So we're very big on promoting. It starts with the family, everybody, whether you think it could ever happen to your child or not, it does not matter. There just is no profile for a victim of sexual abuse. Anyone is susceptible. Any child in any neighborhood, anywhere. You are absolutely right. And sharing stories, that's one thing, especially all the people I talk to and all the different stories that I read for people who are 
ready and willing to share their story. Right. It's so important because another thing that you learn is all of the different ways, because you just mentioned, even if you don't think it could happen to your child, there are right. so many stories out there with things that you you wouldn't have even thought of or situations right. that you wouldn't have even right. considered. So you're absolutely yeah. right. And I love how you are saying, and especially, and this might be a silly or ignorant thing to say, but especially being a part of a church, a religious community, and mm -hmm. talking about your body parts. And mm -hmm. it might just be my idea, but in general, actually, in with people in general, if we can't even comfortably talk about our body parts, to me, mm -hmm. that makes them shameful. So if you yes, are... Of course. Uh, yeah, you, you are already creating this by... It's embarrassing. It's like, no, we don't talk about that. Okay, so now there's a bunch of shame wrapped around these different parts of me, and now something is right. happening to these different parts. That is just even more shame. How am I supposed to talk about this or communicate this to anybody? Right, right, exactly, exactly, that exactly. Is, that is, and you see, children, if they don't have, that's really it. And not all churches, or not all religious organizations, or or places of worship are equipped depending i mean it just isn't because there's so many different forms so many different approaches to oh gosh what's the i don't even know how to you know what how to say it but like modesty that's not the word but things that are okay to talk about and things that aren't right. um openness right. i guess maybe is the better is the better word but you know you know one of the things i really respect about port city is that and I wish that more organizations would take on this model. They so care about people that they established a care ministry that deals with, that has its own staff with counselors and different people that are equipped, you know, trauma-informed people that are equipped to come alongside, you know, people who are struggling with everything from addiction to uh, pornography to anxiety, depression, sexual trauma, you name it. I mean, they've got, people who are equipped to be able, and if they aren't equipped, if the church itself isn't equipped, then they have a resource list of local counselors that they recommend wow. um, and have worked with and have a relationship with. So not all organizations have that. They should, but they don't. And so that's kind of where, you know, like for, for Port City, what's been really good is they already know how to talk about hard things and they don't shy away from talking about the hard or even the what might seem embarrassing things. In fact, when I went to Refuge and spoke at Refuge, I had asked uh, Mark Allen, is the Mark Allen and Mandy Hughes are the leaders of Refuge. And in our pre-discussions, you know, as we were planning for the the night that I spoke, um, I asked them, I said, it's okay if I say the word sex? Because, <laughs> 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 you know, we are going to be talking about that. <laughs> they were like, yeah, definitely, please. I'm like, okay, I can't believe I'm going to say sex at church. <laughs> that is amazing though <laughs> I know right so you know but yeah I mean you, you have to and so then think of like children how important it is for a child to be able you would think it would be okay to say you know things like whatever my private so my whatever but if the child doesn't know what to call the anatomy mm -hmm. of a person then they're not going to be able to say exactly what happened yeah. They're not going to be able to describe it and they're going to get tongue-tied and frustrated and there's already so much shame and fear in all of it. Yeah. 
And it, and so, yeah, they need to be able to in an age-perfect way. And so, actually, the mama bear effect does a beautiful job. And you can actually find them on our website under our End 1 in 10 campaign. They're one of the partner organizations that we've kind of linked up with or that we're trying to link people with. It's called themamabareffect.org. And the lady that started that, she wrote a book called My Body is Special. And it is literally, it is like for toddlers and up, the storybook. And it teaches children how to be able to, to understand their body and what is okay touch and what is not. That is amazing. Um, I'm definitely going to be looking yeah. that up and and yeah. linking that for people to yeah. access. Yeah. You know, and, and just, you know, if you've got small children, get a copy, read it to your kids. It's not harmful. It, she does a beautiful job and it, it opens the conversation up to have that healthy openness in your home where your kids feel safe. Because here's the thing, you know, after I started going through my story, I started remembering things. So when I first started facing what had happened to me by, by the family member that I talk about in my book, I started remembering other things before that a babysitter who had made me do some things. And it was only, there was only one time. And I told my mom, I don't remember what I told her, but whatever I told her was enough. I didn't have to go to that babysitter anymore. But I remember that. I remember things happening at a friend's house. I remember a situation with a stranger who pulled up by my uh, house in his car and exposed himself to me and my little friend. I was only seven at the time. I didn't know what to do with that visual, you know? I mean, and I certainly wasn't going to tell my mom. I mean, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't even know what all that was. And so that, it's just important. Kids need to know if they're equipped and they understand what they're being confronted with. And mind you, I'm 52 years old. That happened when I was seven. You can only imagine what's happening now. That was in the, what was it? That was in the 70s. <laughs> you know? So that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, you mentioned um, one in 10 is the statistic. And that is... Based on reported cases. Based yeah. on reported cases. So you are one yeah. person who just shared four to five different experiences. And you're yeah. probably not even done alone. No, I'm not. I yeah. as well. So I have the yeah. big event that I mainly attribute to the, right. the the trauma. But I remember right. other times, I remember being at my friend's house across the street when I was little and her dad having a friend over and he said, look at my little girl, look, she's already, you know, developing and the man making a comment and how uncomfortable oh, I was. My word. Yeah. And there's other situations and I am just one person Right. And and so those numbers are even so much more, not necessarily just with, there's all different types of sexual violence. Right. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And, and the thing about it is, here's the other thing, you know, it's not just the reported cases. You know, you would think that a large majority report that they don't, it's only about 40%. It's estimated only 40% report. That means there's 60 there's over half, it's estimated, that don't. I know I didn't. My, I, I didn't, didn't know. I mean, this is, yeah. And the vast majority of the women that go through the Journey to Heal study with, that I've personally taken through the study don't, haven't reported. It's a minority that have reported and it didn't necessarily 
go well for them, unfortunately, because of our system, you know, very broken system. Yeah, and when you finally even get the courage to say what happened for the very first time ever, it's lots of times, many, many years have passed. So if we're able to have children come forward and speak confidently and be able to remove any shame that they might feel so that they do come forward, then those cases and those reports, we can make a big impact on that. And then these abusers can't feel comfortable living with, you know, in the darkness, in the secret anymore. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a really, I think this is, again, this is just, is a topic that needs to be discussed. There's so many people hurting and not enough help. But the reality is, is more people are uh, coming forward, speaking out. The Me Too movement really helped in all of that because there, here you have these very visible people in our nation that are standing up and saying, hey, I was sexually harassed or I was sexually abused or I was raped or, you know, all of these things. And, yeah. and then, you know, you get to see, again, some of these very visible people in our nation that are getting called out for it and fired and, and all kinds of things. And, you know, that that's very helpful because it's, like you said earlier, it is opening up the conversation. So, yeah, it's important. Well, I am... The work you guys are doing is amazing. I am so happy to have been connected to you and would love to support everything that you guys are doing. It's just we need more of you out in the world, more people. And I feel that we can get there. I already see, I know there's still a lot of stigma around mental health, but I also see it much better than when I was growing up. When I was growing up, there was no way I would tell someone I was depressed because I would automatically thought that they would think I was crazy or that I should be, you know, in this idea of a mental institution I had from movies, um, (laughs) where now people are talking about it and people are saying, no, this isn't depression. This is depression. This is what anxiety looks like. So it's awesome. There's still a lot of work to be done, but it's great. And I feel we can get there with this subject of child sexual abuse. I really feel like we keep... We just keep going out there. We keep spreading the word and bringing awareness that more people will do it and that we could get to that point. A hundred percent. I agree. A hundred percent. Thank you. I, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to let me be on your podcast. This has been very helpful and uh, I'm just glad to have an opportunity to share about this. Yes. Thank you so much. This is a beautiful conversation. I'm so happy I was able to speak with you today. And so all the, you mentioned it a little bit, but the places that people can find you, you have journeytoheelministries.org and you're also yes. on social media. Go ahead. Any other? Yep. At Journey. Okay. Yeah. And so it's the same. It's at Journey to Heal Ministries and that's both Instagram and Facebook. Wonderful. And you re- I noticed you're very active on there. So there's a lot of inspiration and resources. So definitely, definitely yes. reach out. Crystal, such an amazing conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with before we part ways? Yes, absolutely. I would just like to say, and I say this on every podcast or interview that or message I get to share, um, and that is this. If you have been through any form of child sexual abuse, 
or even adult sexual assault or trauma of any kind, you need to know that you are not alone and there is hope for healing. This is something that you can work through and heal from. And uh, yes, it takes time and it takes intentional steps, but it can be done. And you don't have to do that alone. We are here to help. There's all kinds of other organizations out there as well that can help. The main thing is, is get help. Reach out for help and uh, find someone who is trauma-informed that you can talk to and just start by sharing your story. That's really one of the first two steps. Wonderful. Crystal, thank you so very much. You're welcome. I hope that you have a beautiful day. Thank you.